Director and writer Sabina Vajraka was born in Bosnia and immigrated to the U.S. in 1994 as a war refugee. Since then, she has accomplished a lot as a director-producer, and her critically acclaimed feature documentary, Back to Bosnia, won the Director's Choice Award at the Crossroads Film Festival. Now, her film is featured in the top 100 of the greatest films directed by women by the BBC. Now, Sabina's new short film, Savap Mitzvah, is a true story, placed during World War II in Nazi-occupied Bosnia. And a Muslim woman risks everything to save her Jewish friends. Fifty years later, the tables turn. Well, Savat Mitzvah has qualified to be considered for a 2024 Academy Award, and rightly so. One of the most beautiful true stories I've ever experienced watching. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome visionary filmmaker, writer, director, Sabina Vajraka to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, and what a beautiful introduction. Well, I should say an absolute beautiful film, because, Sabina, I mean, not only have I had the honor of watching your short film, Savat Mitzvah, um, not only was it beautifully moving, I mean, can you tell us about this film? Yes, absolutely. So um, I um, I was inspired to tell the story because I really am interested in um, stories that propagate that help talk about humanity, and this is something that I you know I really strongly believe in. I believe that all of us, no matter what. Um, labels are put on us are all human at our core and this film really exemplified that or the story and um, when i came across it i i just thought it was um too beautiful not to be put on screen and i couldn't believe it wasn't already a movie <laughs> well you know what was the everyday relationship between muslims and jews in bosnia in 1941 during uh, world war ii well bosnia in that way is a is sort of a unique place in the world that all these different um, religious and ethnic uh, groups coexisted and lived together for centuries. So Christians, Jews, and Muslims all, you know, and we, we weren't segregated in different neighborhoods. So everybody just sort of lived together. Some people married across those lines. And that's the kind of Bosnia I grew up in. And so I, living in America, where that segregation is a little bit more obvious was one of the reasons why I wanted to tell this story to tell the world that there is a place in a world in which people can coexist and they live happily together and even when wars come at our doorstep as it seems to happen someone a comedian said at one point every 50 years there's another war in Bosnia <laughs> and you know as every, every joke is half true right so there is something to it um so even as these wars come on our doorsteps we um are a very communal society and so you still look out for your neighbors and it doesn't matter what lab what other labels you put on that neighbor that's your neighbor and you're going to help them you're going to risk your life to save them and that has been happening in Bosnia as far back as, as anyone can look. So I was really inspired by that. And I really wanted to add that tidbit in a conversation about the relationships between Jews and Muslims specifically that we seem to be hearing a lot of negativity about. Well, you start the film with a Muslim woman reading the story of King Haman, Mordecai, and Queen Esther to her daughter. 
Why was that significant to the film? I So when I was writing a script, I wanted her to be reading a story to her daughter. Um, and I wanted something that would be symbolic to the story of the film and what actually happened. And um, I'm, I grew up in a Muslim family. I was not exposed to Jewish texts. And so I asked a good friend of mine who's Jewish and I said, okay, I wanted something that is symbolic of the story that, they're, that I'm about to tell to sort of set up the mood in the film in the first opening act. Um, and I said, you know, this is what the film is about and everything. And he said, well, why don't you look into the Queen Esther story? And once I read it, I just thought, this is brilliant. This is exactly what this film is about. It's about, you know, putting you as, as, a, as, as a woman, as somebody who thinks that she is powerless to put everything on a line, including her own life, in order to save a group of people that she's very passionate about saving, whether, you know, in this case, like Jews, but in general, just a group of good people. You know, when the, when the film opened uh, with that opening scene and the moment I realized that she's reading about Mordecai and Queen Esther, you literally had me right there because I know that story. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand how this mirrors real life because King Haman wanted all of the Jews killed, which was a which is a perfect parallel of what Nazi Germany was doing during World War II. It was Hitler wanting to kill all of the Jews. And, I mean, how many centuries later did this story uh, come to pass in World War II? So I was, I was really, you know, when your film opened up with that, immediately I had to go, I went back to reread the story and then realize that parallel in the film. And I just thought it was absolute brilliance. Now, thank you so much. I, I really try to do that as a filmmaker, as an artist. I try to uh, put in a lot of symbolism in my movies that maybe not everyone will pick up on. And, you know, that particular story, unless you grew up knowing it people are people some people ask me why that like why isn't she reading her you know a fairy tale and um and you know i said well because it really parallels what happened and i wanted that moment when zainaba is in a marketplace with the decision of what she's going to do to mirror this the the image in the story of queen esther where she's staying up all night trying to figure out whether or not she's going to put her life on a line in order to save the Jews. And I don't know, to me, it just seemed like a perfect story and a perfect parallel. And I couldn't have imagined her reading any other story to her daughter. You couldn't have picked a more perfect story. Sometimes I think there's just divine moments. I think that was your divine moment in putting that in the film. And, you know, Zaniba was, you know, she saw her Jewish friend, Rivka walking in town when the Nazis were rounding up the Jews. And Zeneva told her friend, who was obviously very scared, to remember the story of Esther. Why was that? Because in my mind, this is this is a tidbit of the story I made up. I don't know if these two women share that story in real life, but uh, like I said, it seemed very appropriate. But, you know, I imagine that the two of them 
would play out this story as part of a game, you know, like how we play out pretending to be Harry Potter, right? Uh, and so, you know, then as children, they would play out this game. And sometimes one of them was Esther and the other one, the other times the other one was. And so in that moment, when Rivka is panicking and is about to have a panic attack and maybe blow the entire rescue mission, that Zanibah just calms her down and says, remember Esther, remember how scared she was. And she still managed to gather up her courage and do what is right. So let's do it. Like we can do it. We're both Esther. Let's do it together. Well, you know, I believe that this amazing story, because when I, and I watched it more than once, by the way, uh, I believe that this amazing story should encourage many young girls and women to rise up and become Queen Esthers. Do you agree? I 100% agree. I think that, you know, I, I grew up in, even though my parents are very open-minded and, and not patriarchal in that way, the society that I grew up in was very patriarchal. So I had a lot of messaging from the rest of my family, from the schools I attended, from the society in general, that I should know my place. And that place is to serve men <laughs> in my life, whether it's my father, my brother, my husband. And um, I was sort of a, a very stubborn and rebellious child when it comes to stuff like that. And um, I think it's just because I'm very much my father's daughter and he doesn't, if something doesn't smell right, he doesn't agree with it. And so I never understood why I had to be in that position and my brother could do whatever he wanted. And so I've spent all my life trying to give voice to other young women to stand up and really be the queens that we are all born to be. Yeah, I com I completely agree. And uh, for all of you young women and ladies out there, if you've never read the story of Queen Esther, you ought to give it a, a read. I think it's inspiring, it's motivating, and to realize that women in this world, regardless of culture, they have a voice and that they can use it, uh, well, in this case, to change a nation. Yes, and I, I really want to point out that one of the things that drew me to this story in particular is that in um, both of the cases, like let's just take Zainaba, she's a 22-year-old young woman, young mother. She has um, two kids, actually. There was a second kid who was just a baby, and for the production costs, we decided not to have a baby in a movie. <laughs> um, but she was, you know, she was a young mother with two kids living in a very traditional patriarchal household in which she is, talk about not being someone who's given a voice or even any power. So for all intents and purposes, she was in an extremely powerless position is how we would see it from now compared to us women nowadays. Most of us have many more privileges and freedoms than she did at that moment. And yet she still found a way to stand up to everything and do what is right. And I think it's really important for us to point that out because it's really not easy, but, you know, sometimes we watch movies about either World War II or other wars where people rescue one another or they do something that is right. But a lot of the times, first of all, they're men um, and that comes with its own privileges. And a lot of the times they're also already in a position of some kind of power. Maybe they're politically strong or they're rich or they have 
some other connections that would open up doors that when we watch those films, even though we might be inspired by those individuals, there is a part of us that can just say, well, but I don't have any of those things. So when I'm confronted with that, I wouldn't be able to do any of that. And so here's a perfect example of a woman that has even less than most of us have in today's world. And yet she found a way to do what is right. So I really think that's very important to point out. And hopefully the women who watch this film, especially young women, will be encouraged to do the same. Well, it radiates through this whole film. And that's one of the one of the reasons why I fell in love with it. And, you know, Zaniba's husband. And this is one. This is a scene that I watched more a few times just so I could really grasp it. And mm-hmm. Zaniba's husband agreed with her when he stated our lives are only as important as the people we help. That is a very deep statement, not just back in 1941, but it's still deep today. So has today's society forgotten how to love others who are from different cultures and beliefs? I think that that's a very good question. I don't think we have forgotten. I think that it's really hard to resist to um, our brains soak up whatever stories we're fed on a daily basis. And if what we're fed are stories of otherisms and putting people in groups and tribalism and saying, okay, us versus them in whatever capacity, whether it's a war or in peacetime, it could just be as simple as, oh, that person over there wears their hair a different way or covers their hair or eats food that I don't agree with. I think that as long as we are exposed to whether it comes from media or, you know, stories that we read and consume, um, you know, politicians, whoever, where, where we get our stories from, as long as the narrative is that group over there is quote unquote wrong in whatever capacity, it is very hard for us to then in moments of um, panic or fear or even, you know, everyday confrontations to remember that the person on the other side is human first and foremost, that all those other labelings are just arbitrary. It's, it's what we use in order to put people in boxes. And if you just stand, go from yourself onward, like what box can any of us 100% fit in? Probably none. I know that I don't. You know, and so I think it's, like I said, I don't think we've forgotten. I think it's really hard to remember it when our head is flooded with stories that tell us otherwise. I agree with that. I mean, today's media is coming in from all directions. It's completely in front of us at all times. But I like, and I have to remind myself, Sabina, that when we see people on the news, even currently, and there's a lot of animosity, there's a lot of hate, a lot of disagreement. Those people, everyone, was raised in a household, and they were taught that. Um, we're, we're all taught by our parents, regardless if our parents were right or if they were wrong. But we, as children, are a sponge, and, and we do what we're told, we do uh, well, we, we try to obey our parents because we don't know that what they're telling us is right or wrong. It's just we're living in that environment. And then when we become adults, 
that is still ingrained in us. And some people don't take the time to actually just stop and review and try to look through the, uh, the other person's uh, eyes or perspective and try to get an idea uh, in, a, in, my, in a way to hopefully have peace with one another and have respect for one another. But I know that today's media drives a very powerful narrative and tries to cause us to believe whatever they want us to believe. But more yeah. importantly, your film, um, wow, did it come out at the right time? <laughs> you know, and I want to ask you about the cinematography because your cinematography is absolutely beautiful. The use of natural light throughout brought out the realism of the time period. I mean, how long did it take you to film this short film? We filmed it over the course of five days, which for, in my experience is a long time. You know, it's, it was a 17 page script and we were just like, wow, look at us having all this time in the world. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I do agree. I, I mean, I worked really hard with my with my director of photography, Alan Alilovich, and we talked about it from the beginning. I said, uh, it's very important for me that we shoot this in the most authentic, natural way possible. So we didn't, the only light was either natural light or coming from um, uh, practical lights that, you know, he would, he would, add, you know, he would add lights to make it uh, brighter, but that that was the primary source, and it was important for me that it looked like that. Um, and then we worked with our production designer, Adisabatir uh, Selimovich, to make sure that we have all those elements. And you know, sometimes it would be a last-minute addition of some lamp that she would have to go and find. You know, an authentic lamp. Uh, you have 15 minutes, find it. You know, uh, because we needed an extra light in that room, and I didn't want it to look fake in any possible way. Yeah, and you know it's strange because with um, with lighting like that, if it's a lamp, you know, you know, a few years ago it was easy to just to grab a regular light bulb. Now most of the light bulbs are LED in nature, and you're trying to figure out how to get rid of that cold look mm -hmm. of something so simple that could actually disrupt a scene. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in, you know, in that way, Bosnia is sort of a good place to shoot in because I feel like they're still a little bit stuck in time when it comes to LED lights or anything like that. And maybe in the offices they have it, but in the regular homes, people still just use, you know, the old fashioned light bulbs or, you know, the ones that we're used to seeing from the 90s and before. Uh, so we, yeah, I guess we lucked out in that way. I didn't even think about that because nobody brought it up. Nobody said, oh, we could only buy the, the LED light bulbs. But I, I do know that that's a problem um, here in the States and something we always oh, I You know, I've had, I've had times to where we were filming and you're looking at, um, you're looking at the monitor and you're thinking, how can we change that light? And you're taking like things like tissue paper and you're stuffing it around the bulb to and to dim it <clears throat> to what you really need uh, to shoot the scene correctly. So that way it, it's not drawing someone's attention away, especially for the audience or the viewer when something comes in the view. So ladies and gentlemen, filmmaking is an art. 
And there's these little, little things that sometimes make a huge difference. Now, was there anything particularly challenging uh, uh, for you in uh, while, while filming it? Well, I would say my the biggest challenge for me personally was the fact that um, I this was the entire cast and crew in this film was new to me. Um, I once so the film was funded by the Claims Conference, which is a nonprofit organization based out of New York City. And um, once I got the money, I said, okay, I want to spend it all in Bosnia. I wanted to film there. And then I insisted that I only employ local cast and crew, which is all noble and great, except for the fact that I'm not from that town and I know no one there. And so um, for, you know, for me as a filmmaker, as I'm sure for most of the filmmakers, you usually have your core group of people that you work with a lot because they you have a shorthand like they understand your tastes already because you made two three films already or you know uh, with actors you could just look at them and they say oh yeah yeah i know what you mean you know and to not have that to just sort of jump in and take um take on such a to, for me this was the most ambitious film that i made so far and so it was an ambitious undertaking making it with a whole new group of people that i had to First, get to know, and then second of all, get them to trust me enough to jump into this crazy adventure and trust me guiding this ship uh, was definitely a challenge that I didn't really even anticipate until I was there. And I thought, oh, well, that idea of not bringing any of your usual collaborators was really nice when you were sitting in your house in L.A., but now that you're here, okay let's let's do it you know and um but i have to say you know i really lucked out that most of the people that i worked with were really up for a challenge and they embraced me right away and i didn't really you know it took it took a few few meetings for some some of them to be like oh okay you know what you're talking about <laughs> but um but once once we broke that ice um and got on set it was pretty smooth sailing i <sighs> There is, there is this film, this film, and I can say it over and over again, it is beautiful, but I have not seen a film so perfectly done from the cinematography to the casting to the story. Um, when, when you had to do the transition from 1941 and then 50 years later, was there a challenge there? Uh, yes, that's interesting you bring that up. Um, so I, when I wrote the script, you know, in a script form, you just say, okay, you know, and now next scene 50 years later, and it read really well. Like nobody, in all the different drafts that I did of the script and, and my script consultant that I worked with and other people who read it, nobody brought it up. Nobody said, how are you going to do this? Because I think people probably thought that I was going to fade to black and then go back up. And I am not somebody who likes fading to black in the middle of the film because that, to me, just, just looks like a, a false ending. And so, and you know, part of my, I, I, I was a theater director first and part of my training in theater was transitions. How do you do transitions from one scene to another to where the audience is still engaged and doesn't start to clap, right? And so once we shot the film, 
and edited it, it was it was the way it was written. You go from a scene where they're at the dinner to the scene where, you know, we're in the 1993 Bosnia. And, um, and so, you know, I sent it to a few people in here in Los Angeles, some of my friends, because I said, you know, it's really easy for all of us in Bosnia to understand this transition. We, we know what happened, right? So I said, you know, but I'm not making this, I mean, I'm primarily making this uh, film for the foreign audience, like for the Americans and, and other non-Bosnians out there. And um, so I said, okay, so tell me what doesn't make sense. And across the board, out of like 10 people who watched it all said, what is happening? And we're in the 90s. And what does that mean? And is she, why is she, why is there plastic on a window? We don't understand what's going on. And so I said, okay, so this is exactly why I needed you to see it. Because to all of us, when you say Bosnia in 1993, we know exactly what it is because we lived through it, you know? So it's it's kind of like telling anybody in America 9-11. We all know what 9-11 is for all of us here, you know? And so I said, okay. And I spent maybe 24 hours thinking about it. And then it came to me in a shower as all these good ideas always come in a shower that I said, okay, well, what, what if we do a transition that mimics the beginning of the film, how in the beginning of the film, we open over still shots of the house that the action is about to take place in with a voiceover of her reading the story to her daughter, the story of Queen Esther. So I said, okay, what if we also find these still shots of the house that we're about to go in, but we use the voiceover as something that is going to inform us about what is actually happening at this moment. And so then we went and reshot those and I found the radio part. We found it um, through the Bosnian television station we worked with and added that in. So it wasn't originally planned. It was just something that came out in editing and only goes to show that it's not until you edit the film that you actually get the full picture. The transition was perfect. And one of the things that I that I liked that you didn't do was that some people take a story like this and they show you the ending and then they then they backtrack to tell the story. I'm glad you didn't do that. And the one reason why I'm so glad you didn't do that that when they all gathered underground and I loved the casting of the older Zaneba. Mm -hmm. Loved her. So authentic. I, I, I was literally sitting there watching, wondering what was going to happen. And I mean, when the, end, when the ending came, I mean, if you don't have tears in your eyes, <laughs> you, you, need, you need to have your heart checked. Because... <laughs> The, the the transition was perfect. The placement was perfect. And from the beginning to the very end, Sabina, I mean, I was sitting there wondering, okay, what's going to happen? Because you had so many of these types of intense, I guess there's a lot of short, intense moments where you're wondering, mm -hmm. okay, are they going to get caught? Are they going to get captured? Um, is something going to go wrong? And it's just a beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think it's, you know, um, yes, of course, you know, build suspense and, and add those things. But I think I'm, I'm also relying a lot on 
us as an audience being trained over many, many decades of watching American movies and television that um, the shoe always drops, right? You never, you're never safe, you know? And so if I set up a situation in which either of the situ either good or bad can happen, I think that talk about, again, how your brain is influenced by the stories you consume. I think most of us are sort of dreading and half anticipating that a bad thing is going to happen because we see that happen a lot in the movies that we watch. And so, you know, I, I that helps me, you know. <laughs> so in that way, the all this negative media that is being fed to people's heads has been helpful. <laughs> well, what have the audiences, uh, what has been their feedback to you knowing that this story, this true story is based on two friends, one's a Muslim and one is Jewish. So what kind of feedback have you received? Um, you know, it's been really amazing because, you know, with short films, when you play at a film festival, you play in a block of films. And so the audience will have some people that have come to support you, but also a lot of people will come to support the other films, as well as people just want to watch shorts and don't know anyone. And um, and it's been really consistent at, at all the festivals that I went with the film that maybe a couple of days after the screening, I would be approached at some other event by someone who was in the audience watching the block that our film was in. And they'll come up with often with tears in their eyes and say, you know, I haven't stopped thinking about your film since I watched it. I came to see my friend's film and loved it. But your film is the one that stayed with me and that I told everyone to watch. And I brought it up with my family and we had discussions about it because I think the film really is possibly challenging for some people because it's going to ask them to reexamine their beliefs and their biases about Jewish Muslim relations, you know, and so if you watch that and you're set in one way of thinking, it's going to make you rethink. So you're going to spend time in a shower, probably, <laughs> you know, re-examining your belief system. And, you know, if if it even changes one person's mind into thinking of everyone as humans, first and foremost, then I've done my job. And um, so far, like I said, a lot of people have approached to me saying that they're just that. And that is what I'm the most proud of. You know, when I, again, when I go back to think how your film started and when the film was over, my thought was, it's not just a friendship between two people of different cultures and religions, one Muslim, one Jewish, but as I looked at it, I thought, you know what? There's really a third here because when you bring up the story of Mordecai and Queen Esther, yes, it's Old Testament. Yes, it's part of what, you know, Jewish readings, but it's also part of Christian readings as well. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, you're bringing this film to me brings in all cultures to realize that these two women were were children in the very beginning and they were children and they were friends and when they were playing together they didn't label each other they only knew each other by their first names they didn't really know what their religion or culture was unless their parents uh, told them and and through uh, holiday traditions and and uh, synagogue uh, that they would go to, that's really only how they would know. But on a deep personal level, 
they were just two little girls playing and having fun and, and reading the story. And that story comes to life in the truest of ways. Uh, now, for you, how does it feel that this film has been Oscar qualified? <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of surreal, I have to admit, you know. Um, you know, on, on one hand, um, so I made a big declaration to my family when I was about eight years old that I was going to be a film director. Um, around that time is when I learned that, that such a position even existed. I'd never heard of it before. And the only reason I even know of it is knew of it that back then is because my dad's a cinephile and I grew up watching all these movies with him. And around that time, a very famous Bosnian director won Palme d'Or. And um, my dad was really proud of this person winning. And I thought, well, what does that mean? So they explained it to me and I said, oh, I want to do the same thing. Uh, <laughs> not really knowing or realizing what it meant, you know. Um, and as the years went by, you know, I, I said, you know, I would just tell everybody, I'm going to film director. I'm going to win an Oscar one day. I'm going to be a film director. I'm going to win an Oscar. You know, and everyone just thought, oh, you know, a little like silly little girl, like you're never going to, that's not ever going to happen. Um, but it's been something that, um, not the Oscar per se, but sort of the success in this industry has been something that has guided me through some of the hardest times of my life. You know, that, that dream of fulfilling what I see to be my destiny of telling stories in this way and as a visual storyteller to people and helping them see the world in a, in a perhaps a different way than what they're used to, you know? Um, I, and so, once we got to the place where it said, okay, we're, well, we're Oscar qualified and we're actually going to go for it. You know, I've been pinching myself every morning going, okay, well, that little eight-year-old girl knew what she was talking about. And now I'm living her dream. And I really, really hope she's proud of me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to stand in agreement with you because I have my little private list of all of the Oscar qualified films. And, and I've seen many. And there are... There, it's a very tough group this year. I, this group this year is far tougher than last year, and but your film is on my list that I am hoping and I'm praying to see that the nomination comes because this film I want the whole world to really. Uh, to really see this film, to know about this film, uh, your the the power that you have in storytelling is absolutely spectacular, Sabina. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Thank you. And uh, and hopefully when, when you know, I was talking with another director. Uh, uh, I think it was just last week, and uh, he said, you know when the, the nominations are going to be or actually announced, uh, actually it's on Steven Spielberg's birthday. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. But, so come on, fates. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause I was like, how cool is that? You know, <laughs> one, one of the most famed directors in all the world and to actually have the n nominations announced on that, on that, on his birthday. And I'm sure it was just a coincidence but yeah. still, it's just the coolest thing. But, you know, I let you know, say what I love, especially what I love about you is that you had that dream 
And we should be allowed to have the craziest dream. If, if we dream that, hey, I'm going to win an Oscar one day, we, we should be allowed to have that dream. We should be allowed to say that dream out loud. Because in a way, when you speak it forth, hey, it's out there. And, uh, you know, a lot of things come to pass just by the fact that we speak them forward. And, uh, and that's what film's all about. It's speaking a lot of things. It's storytelling. Some of it's fiction. Some of it's nonfiction. But cinema is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, I am so honored to have you on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I do want to follow up on what you just said. I think I, I always give, and I also want to do it on this occasion, I give full credit to my parents, you know, and specifically to my mother who, you know, we came to America in 1994 as war refugees. We had nothing, absolutely nothing. We were, you know, put on welfare and food stamps. And at the time, my father was still in Bosnia um, and couldn't get out. And so it was just my mom, my brother and I. She was a single mother with two underage kids arriving in a in Florida, in a place where she didn't know anyone. She didn't have any money, any support. There was no Bosnian community to begin with that she could tap into and, and have any assistance. And I was a very much like a straight A nerd student. Um, I, I took that scholarship very seriously. And, um, and, you know, even coming to America and having very limited knowledge of English, I was the only one who had any. Um, my mom and my brother didn't. And my mom very much relied on me. And, um, and I made a big announcement to her saying that I'm going to study theater. I was going to go and become a theater director. And that's what I wanted to study in college. And at that time, if my mother had said, you know, uh, we're refugees, we have no money, we have no support, we don't know if your father's going to come out alive, your brother and I are completely relying on you, we need you to use your capacity for studies to help us financially. You have to go become a doctor, you have to go become a you know, go into finance, go into law, anything. And then down the line, perhaps you can, you know, still pursue your dreams. But, you know, right now we need you. I probably would have followed and done what she asked me to because, you know, I really love my family and, you know, they, they are always number one to me. And, but she didn't. In that moment, she looked at me and she said, we came to this country in order to keep on living. And I really want both you and your brother to pursue your dreams and I'll find a way to support that. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting all emotional about that because it still means a lot to me. And I think it's really important to bring up because once again, you know, when you think you're powerless and you think I need help, there is a part of us that can still overcome that. And I find that a lot of parents whose children want to pursue something that is quote unquote unsafe. You know, it's not a safe path. They have a dream, they're making that dream since they were kids. It doesn't have to be an artist, it could be something else. But a lot of times it's artists of some kind because our society doesn't reward that in the same way they reward other industries. But you know, once that kid says that, I find that a lot of parents out of fear tell them, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And again, I want people listening to this and watching this to think about my mother you know she's she's a single mom two underage kids no money no support her husband might be dead or alive 
and she's dealing with an extreme amount of trauma that she just lived through a war. And in that moment, she looks at her daughter and says, you have to pursue your dream and I will be here for you. If she can do it, then you living in your suburban home and you know having a regular job and your kid wants to go and become a ballet dancer, I really hope that you will think of my mother and encourage your kid to do the same. I agree. And Sabina, I think in some small way, I think you actually became Queen Esther. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, I mean, one of the most, one of the most powerful lessons in life to learn from this incredible film, Savat Mitzvah, is that we reap what we sow. So when we sow into someone's life, Maybe it's saving them from death or ridicule or misunderstanding, and we will be blessed back by what we give. Now, Seneba risked her life to save her friend Rivka, and then 50 years later, the favor was returned. I want to thank you, Sabina, for sharing your beautiful, I can't say it enough, beautiful short film with us, uh, as it is truly worth to be Oscar qualified. And it should be nominated if it was up to me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I will, I will tell the Academy to give you a call. <laughs> I think they should. And personally, I think I should be on, the, on the, uh, the side of voting for these things because I know it's going to be tough for the Academy uh, for nomination day. And uh, that's probably one job I really don't want. But in a way, I really do. <laughs> but again, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever get the chance, to sit down and see Savat Mitzvah. It is a film that you will not only want to watch once, you want to watch it more than once because the meanings throughout that film is something that we all need to take with us. There are many Queen Esthers out there, ladies and gentlemen, and if you have a daughter, read her the story of Queen Esther and encourage her to be someone like that because you never know you may have a daughter, a niece, or a granddaughter. Maybe one day they're going to grow up and they'll be saving a nation. Well, Sabina, again, I want to thank you for honoring us with, with your film. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for watching. And as for me, I'll see you next time. <laughs>